All right, the text for this week is Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. In seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of God. Thanks, Meg. So what we've been doing is taking a few weeks so far, and we'll end up taking a few months looking at uh, the questions that people asked Jesus. And I love this one, and have—I think I've preached on this twice before in the five years that I've been here. And every time that I read it, I notice something new, and I don't know if this is the case for you. Some of you have been followers of Jesus for a long time. And I think when we first start to hear Peter ask the question— if we're familiar with the Bible, the number seven might throw us off. Like seven times seems kind of like a biblical number. Is it a symbolic number? And the answer is yes, but it's not only a symbolic number. And then Jesus answers 70 times seven, which is both a symbolic and a hyperbolic answer. So he's exaggerating and using symbolism to answer the question. And what I want for us to consider is the question that Peter's asking that sounds like one that we ask literally every day. Do you hear your own questions inside Peter's? Does, does the religious language throw you off? Does it create a fog whereby you don't realize that you're asking the same question every day? And you know how I know that you are is because I do. I wake up in the morning and I start worrying about this question. At night, I don't. Some of you are probably more night people. Although sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, and this is a question on my mind. I have told you before that I have lots of family members spread all over the country, and I will wake up in the middle of the night, and I'll wonder some version of this question. It's getting a little better. Praying about it a lot. I'm seeking wise counsel. I talk to my friends about it. I talk to the family members about it. But I wonder, do they know I love them? And that's not exactly Peter's question, but it overlaps. And I don't think it's the question 
that you ask that he's asking. And before we get into this too much, I want to point something out that, that I think is interesting, and I hope you do too, and it's going to help us later in the sermon. Have you noticed that in different faith traditions, when they pray the Lord's Prayer, they use different words? That was a quick answer. I guess we're going to be interactive today. It's my fault for coming down on the floor, which is totally fine. Someone says something interesting on Facebook. It better be really interesting, but you can tell me. No, you can't. Or I changed my mind. Keep doing that because I know, like, some staff members are actually watching right now and stuff like that. So I was with a family recently, and they were dealing with something in a hospital, and I prayed with them, but I knew that they were all Catholic. And so when we prayed the Lord's Prayer together, we prayed trespasses. So sometimes we prayed trespasses. Here at the barn, we used debts. And sometimes, what, what, what's the other one? Yeah. And I, I like that because it reminds us of uh, the expanse of the problem, right? Relationally. People have debt with you, and you have debt with other people. People have trespassed against you, and you've trespassed against them. And they've sinned against you, and you've sinned against them. And those things overlap a little bit, but they're also they're also quite different. And I want to say this briefly, because I get the microphone, and I think about this a lot, and it's going to be important for us to understand as fully as we're able Jesus' beautiful answer to Peter's phenomenal question. A relationship without, without conflict isn't a relationship. It's an acquaintance. And I don't mean it has to be negative conflict, but where you haven't figured anything out together, you're still, if you're in a relationship where there has been no conflict, you're still putting your best foot forward. Whether it's someone that you have shared interests with or someone that you work with or even a family member, when a conflict starts, then you back up. And that, that's okay. We have to have acquaintances, especially in the workplace and probably in our, in our families, unless we have incredibly small families. But... In any relationship that's going to get beyond that, simply putting your best foot forward, you will have to figure some things out. And I know that even in a group this small, somebody has never fought in their marriage, and I don't actually understand that, but my point is, in a real relationship, you still have to figure things out. And maybe you have such smooth communication that your figuring out would not look like fighting to other people. Okay, that's fine. But in a relationship, there will be things that you don't mutually understand and you have to walk through. Therefore, let's notice the human face of Peter, who has lived under the curse, that's Adam and Eve's sin, that all of us are living in the poisonous fog of, but also the light of grace in his eyes, looking at Jesus saying, how many times do I forgive my brother? Up to seven which, if we don't have religious language, if we don't have some of the confusion and all the Sunday school, I think we'd be kind of impressed. Seven's a lot, especially if it's the same sin. And you're supposed to at least release them from that as an issue. I love attempting to picture Peter, who often asked the question, that those of us that are a little more extroverted and verbal processy and often talk before we think would have said if we were as brave as he is, his question is, how does my faith impact my relationships? That's the question that you ask every day. And I ask every day. And some of the answers are simple. 
but most of them are not. And I think you have lost sleep over this. Over the question, how does my faith affect my relationships? Even if your faith is not in Jesus, you're considering the gospel of Jesus, or you have another faith, and it's active, you're constantly asking some version of, how does this affect the relationships that I'm in? I assume you, you've noticed that because you've been angry. Right? And you can't let go of the anger very quickly. You have these imaginary conversations. Have you ever had so many imaginary conversations that they start, you start saying them out loud? So I'm walking my dog, whose name is Doug, and I start conversing with nobody. And it's like the eighth sentence in an imaginary conversation with someone, and they, for some reason the eighth one comes out verbally, and Doug looks at me like, Who, what, did, did you throw a stick or what? What's going on here? And I think we pray about it, but I'm not sure we pray honestly. I'm really not. Because when I pray, I sanitize it, even though I'm really familiar with and passionate about the Psalms. And I'm worried that when you pray, you sanitize it. God doesn't need sanitized prayers. In fact, the model we have is certainly not that. Is he leading us to love neighbor and enemy? Of course. How do we get there? I think one of the ways is non-sanitized prayers. Probably the, the, at least a man I respect as much as any I've ever interacted with, perhaps the most. We were once talking about the Psalms of disorientation and lament, and another friend was in the room that, that I was troubled by, and I was talking to him about those challenging Psalms, and the man that I respected a lot, significantly older than me, told me months later that he couldn't sleep that night because he hadn't thought of that. It was so humbling to me. And it's still humbling to me because that was 20 years ago and I'm 41 and I still pray sanitized and I'm a little worried that you do too. And the reason I'm getting at that as we're looking at Matthew chapter 18 is I want us to see Peter's face and even hear his voice before we then hear Jesus' response to him wondering how does my faith affect my relationships. I'm going to answer in kind of a broad way and then I'm going to narrow it down a little bit. All of your relationships, if you're a follower of Jesus, are subject to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. That means your relationships are being cruciformed, formed by the cross of Christ, which also includes renewal, at least in your own life with respect to that relationship then they require wisdom to know how to do the new life in light of the crucifixion of your old self and the renewal and the new heart that you have been given by Christ. That's faith. And I think when we, when we realize that we have the same question that Peter does, when we realize that we're wondering, how does my faith affect our, my relationships— Oftentimes, we want that to be a simple answer. But here's my question. If it was a simple answer, would you trust the gospel of Jesus? Not because the gospel is, isn't simple in some ways. It's very simple in many, many ways. But do you have any long-term close relationships that are simple? I don't. And I have a lot of good friends and a lot of loving family members, and I'm crazy about my wife, and my 12-year-old, and my 10-year-old, and I yelled at my 12-year-old yesterday, which is what I was confessing earlier. And it's a complicated relationship. She's very artistic. 
and I am not. And so it takes energy and thought, and I often mess up. My, and my point is, it takes energy and thought for me to remember that when we're interacting. Because she will naturally want things... She naturally understands the world differently than I do, and she views it differently than I do. I'm just beginning to learn this about her. And my point is relationships are complex, and I think you already know that. And the reason I'm reminding you of that is I want you to feel comfortable approaching relationships complexly, and it's why Jesus spoke so often about forgiveness. So if you take something simple in the Scriptures, Ten Commandments, those are simple, right? But in between, treat God as God, don't have idols, carry the Lord's name with honor, Sabbath, honor your father and mother, don't lie, don't kill, don't covet, don't murder, I already said kill, don't steal, thank you, Dr. Friend. Between those simple things and the reality of our relationships, there's a bridge, and that bridge is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the thing that, allow, that, that draws us into the wisdom of God where we're released from the weight of the complexity of the relationships. At the same time, as a pastor, I need to be really clear about something that Jesus spoke about regularly. And then we're going to wrestle with it for just a second. Because this is, this is the new thing I learned about this text. Ready? Go ahead with the land. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, after Jesus talk, uh, taught on how to pray, and many other things, but specifically how to pray, he said this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What troubles you about that? In addition to how scary of a statement it is generally. It's something I just realized, not pretending like I've known this forever. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Sounds like bargaining. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what troubles me about it. Those are all awesome answers. Here's what troubles me about it. He doesn't define it. So in addition to all the ter terrifying things that you all just said, he doesn't define it. So we have to define it with the rest of Scripture. And I think the reason he doesn't define it is because this is early in his church ministry. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are leading people gently and slowly to understand who Jesus is. And now I really want to talk about all your questions because they are so good, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stick to my notes because I'm better if I stick to my notes. I'm going to call forgiveness, I'm going to give it four words today. And I've used these words before, but I want to stick to these four more specifically than I have before. Long for their good. That's it. Someone's indebted to you, they've trespassed against you, they've sinned against you. As a follower of Jesus, you recognize the shockingly large debt that was forgiven you that you could never have repaid. Now I'm back in the parable that we looked at. And a natural response to that 
Not a bargaining response, though, if we take that just by itself, it does sound that way. And if we take it by itself, it doesn't sound like grace. And if we take it by itself, it doesn't sound like God. But in the, other, but in the context of Matthew 18, as a response to how much we have been forgiven, we then long for their good. That's what forgiveness is, I think. And the reason I'm saying I think is not because I'm not confident, but because Jesus doesn't define it. And it's okay for you to be bothered by that. I don't want you to stay in your botheredness by that for too long, but it's okay for you to be bothered. And when you realize you are in that place with another human where you cannot long for their good, here's what you do. You say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you say it again and again until you can release your anger or sadness or fear or shame at what that person did to you and long for their good. Forgiveness is long for their good. And as a response to the love of Jesus Christ forgiving us our sins, we long for their good. And when we can't, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner, which is a humble way of asking for help. That's not all that Peter was asking, in my opinion, when he said, how many times must I forgive? He's also asking, when do we get to give up? And this is when I, as a pastor, I say, when did God give up on you? And I hate it when religious people say that. You know why? Because you're not him. You're bound by time and sin and your limitations. Even though it's kind of a good question if we nuance it the right way. You're indwelt by him. Indwelled, indwelt. T, with the T? Okay. English is a liquid language, you know, so... We could argue about this, like swim, swam, swum. Like, we never say swum anymore. This is a tangent. So, on the one hand, I don't like that question, depending on our tone, when did God give up on you? But I love if he never has and he never will. And we have the Holy Spirit forever. But I do want us to wrestle for a few minutes when, with this question because I think this is what happens with our, uh, well, frankly, with any relationship, we've wondered this question. When they have caused us pain or we've caused them so much pain and then there's an accompanying uh, shame that we feel in regards to that. I've read recently that we can have about 100 friends in social media and I have 1,800 plus on Facebook, which is part of the reason I don't check it anymore. I have about six or seven friends that I call on the phone, but sometimes that number goes up to 12. And as it goes up, you know what happens is each one I'm more managing than the friendship is growing. I wonder if we, if we actually had time to do an inventory of friends or family members or church members or coworkers. How many times have we wondered 
spiritually speaking, so this is sort of a, a building on the question of how does faith, how does faith speak to my relationships? How does faith impact the fact that I want to give up, semi-regularly at least, on certain relationships? I wonder how often we have wondered. I wonder, is it daily? That we wonder some version of, Lord, when do I get to give up on this one or that one? When do I not have to text them? When do I not need to check Facebook, Twitter? When do I need to, when do I get to not go to that family thing anymore? When do I get to stop reading their Christmas cards? You ever wonder that? You get the Christmas card and like, I got, I actually got one yesterday um, from someone who said we wrote these and then we didn't send them and now we're sending them. And I was standing in the kitchen and I'm like, no one will ever, it's partly because I was thinking about the sermon, no one will ever know if I don't read this unless I see that person and they ask me about it and there's no way they're watching, just so you're wondering. When do we not have to have them over for dinner or go have dinner with them? When do we not have to receive the phone calls or the Skype calls? And I say this because many of you have felt full. You can let them in, Renee. It's a small group. It's fine. Go for it. I'm not done preaching, but I'm almost done. I have felt so full relationally, especially in, in seasons of disorientation with ex- extended family members or my own family members were sick. At those times, I had so much less capacity for relationships. And the reason I'm talking about this is not because self-help and not because I'm going to tell you exactly what to do, but because I know you ask the same question Peter does, especially in more troubling times in your life. When do I get to give up? And spiritually, never. But you could stop relating and stop texting and even for a while, stop praying for someone in your life because you're so full. And that might be a wisdom move. But it follows forgiving them, which is longing for their good. That you are never off the hook for. Not because you're earning your salvation, not because we bargain, but because if we understand that we are forgiven 10,000 talents, Google how much that was, it's a lot, then we long for the good of everyone who has harmed us. I do want to offer one uh, piece of wisdom for those of us that are wondering about specific relationships, how to restore them or, or begin to move towards restoration of them. The different languages we use for the Lord's Prayer can actually be a guide to us in figuring out how to restore and reconcile relationship. What I love about debt as a word, it honors the fact that in every one of our relationships, there's some kind of power imbalance, right? Parents and children, older siblings, younger siblings, in a coworker situation, in a boss situation— depending on the age of the child, like the power dynamics in a close relationship change all the time. And I'm offering that to you as a way of prayerfully and through good friends considering the relationship you're wondering about reconciling. I also offer to you trespasses. Here's what I love about trespasses. It acknowledges the fact, it honors the fact that sometimes people harm us and they didn't mean to. Sometimes they did harm us, and they did mean to, and they said they didn't mean to, but we're sure that they meant to, and we're still under the wonderful umbrella of trespasses. 
And we forgive all of these. But as we're considering the relationship and its potential for either partial or full reconciliation, we have a category here. Sin. That's the most direct one, right? We forgive others' debts against us. We forgive their sins. And we forgive their trespasses. But sin's a real tricky one because there are times that people will want or people will tell you that, you that they forgive you, and you're like, I'm not positive I sinned against you. You know that glimmer in your eye. Am I the only one that does that? And spiritually, like, we're glad that they've released, that they long for our good, right? Good. <laughs> I'm glad you long for my good. But I'm not sure I sinned. You might be sure about someone who has sinned against you. I offer to you those spiritual categories as you're prayerfully, because every Christian prayerfully considers the relationships they're in, and they attempt to move with wisdom, which involves counsel and prayer, back towards those people. They have already forgiven them, because that is what we do immediately. And when we cannot, we say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as you're cons- but as you're considering reconciliation, I would encourage you to kind of sort through those categories. That person that you're struggling with or persons, is it a debt? If so, that would change the, the communication. Is it a trespass? Do they have no idea? Is it a sin? Would the other people that know about this situation be able to help you think about this? A couple of years ago, um, an elder helped me think through something. I said, should I apologize to that person we were working through something kind of complicated. He has a PhD in psychology. He's an elder here. So those of you that go to the bar know who it is now. And he said, you can't apologize to someone for something you didn't do. That would actually harm them. And I have kind of a soft heart with respect to some things. I wanted to. I wanted to do something that would help. He said, you would actually be harming them if you said you were sorry for something that didn't happen. And I was really grateful to be led by him. So I didn't do anything. And that's not the only thing we did as a church in this Situation, but I did listen to him that way. And as you're heavy hearted because you're thinking about a relationship, I offer to you those categories. But we must forgive, and we must maintain a lifestyle of forgiveness, not because your salvation is at stake. Your salvation can only be lost if Jesus can be knocked out of his seat in heaven. You are God's because God pursued you and called you his own. And unforgiveness is incredibly destructive in your life. How do I know if you have it? If you picture that person and you cannot picture their good, then go back to that prayer. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner, until you can long for their good. And we're freed into that because the love of Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit is inexorable, which means unstoppable. I was reading George MacDonald a long time ago, and it was the whole sermon was about Jesus' inexorable love, and I loved the whole sermon, and I was like, but what does this mean? And I was in Barnes & Noble, so I went and I looked it up in a dictionary. I didn't have a smartphone at the time. Unstoppable. His love for you is unstoppable, and it is steadfast. And to the extent that we are grasped by that, we cannot help but long for everyone's good in our life. Because we're free from the weight of their debts 
and sins and trespasses, though we're still in the presence of them, and that's why we have to move with wisdom. The inexorable love of Jesus Christ, the steadfast love of God the Father, Father and the indwelling Holy Spirit frees us to forgive because he has forgiven us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you answered Peter's question directly, with exaggeration, to help us understand, with a story that can surprise us except that the foundation of the story is your incredible love forgiving us of so much. Holy Spirit, help us release those that have sinned against us, those that are indebted to us and those that have trespassed against us. Forgive us of those things even now Give us a sense that you've cleansed us through the work of your Son. That we might be free to love you and freed into neighbor love. Father, Father, for the heavy-hearted amongst us, teach us to pray in an unsanitized way before you. as your psalmist did, as your son did. Fathers, we go out singing, remind us of your great forgiveness to us. Amen.